and welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Today on the program, we have Dandy Warhols. Uh, that's right. I had a, a chance to uh, chat with the lead singer of Dandy Warhols, Courtney Taylor Taylor. Uh, we had a really great chat, actually a long one. Uh, I, I'll tell you, I was really excited to get to talk to him about Bowie. And it seemed like we weren't going to really go there after the conversation went in a different way. But uh, but I brought it back around and uh, and it was just like such a great conversation. I'll talk about Bowie anytime with anyone uh, as he's such a you know miraculous force. Uh, and so uh, so we had a lot of fun chatting. Uh, and Andy Warhol's also played two sold out shows at the Fillmore in San Francisco. Uh, I went to one of one of those shows uh, the first night and uh, got to cover that. Got to take some pictures and some uh, some video. We'll, we'll play a song here in just a minute from the Dandy Warhols. Um, but before we get into Dandy Warhols coverage, um, I do need to uh, share uh, that today was opening day for duck hunting season. And uh, those who know me know that I'm a big duck hunter. Uh, I really enjoy it. I've gotten really passionate about it over the last half decade or so and uh, continue to build my skills uh, uh, through it. But it's something that I really, really enjoy. And I uh, and I, I really enjoy getting out with friends and doing it as well. So uh, so I had a lot of fun with that. Um, I camped out overnight um, at uh, Grizzly Island, which is one of the places that I go to hunt. I slept in my car, uh, got there uh, probably too early, but uh, around two in the afternoon and just hung out the rest of the day, read, read a book uh, and uh, and watched a little bit of a movie, went to sleep a little bit early, but then woke up in, uh, and caught something corporate's reunion show. Uh, they reunited at, uh, uh, in Vegas. And, uh, and I had a little part in, in that, which uh, I'll save for a, a future episode of, uh, of Concert Pipeline, but super excited about it. Um, and so I, I watched the whole concert and I was awake way too late uh, to, uh, for, for my own good, uh, uh, because I needed to wake up at like 3 a.m. anyway. Uh, so I'm running on borrowed time. Uh, and I definitely need to sleep, but I'm going to do it all again tomorrow. So I'm not learning my lesson really, but, uh, got out, uh, was really impressed by the, uh, process getting through the, uh, the check station and getting all that sorted and, um, and went out, found a good spot. Uh, my friends met up with me and, uh, and we just hung out and, uh, and ate some birds. Uh, I had my first opening day limit. Uh, which is awesome. Uh, it means I brought home seven birds uh, that are in my fridge. I need to clean them up, but that'll have to wait until tomorrow. I'm going to have more to add to the stack tomorrow. So uh, super excited to uh, to get out after it and have a great uh, great time. So that was that was a lot of fun. I'll leave that story at that uh, for right now. Okay, so Dandy Warhols. Uh, like I said, I had a chance to talk to Courtney Taylor Taylor. We dug deep into uh, his music, kind of uh, how he identifies and connects with music a, a lot. The show at the Fillmore, um, I went to the Fillmore, and it's been a while since I've been to the Fillmore, uh, my favorite uh, venue in San Francisco. And uh, one of the things that I really love about the Fillmore is their apples. Um, they have these apples that have like magic in them and I don't know what it is but they're delicious they're red apples and they're they're just great right uh they did not have the red apples uh at this uh at the Dandy Warhol show so uh you'll hear in the interview I recommend that to Corey and 
and uh, that those are not the apples that I was recommending, Corey. If you're checking this out at a later uh, at a later time, definitely not those those ones. So apologies for for that. But it, it's always fun to walk through the, the rooms and get lost in the uh, the the concert posters that are on the walls. I found a couple that uh, featured Dandy Warhols also. Uh, so I mean, they've played the the Fillmore probably more than a handful of times. Um, and I'm sure they, they had a Fillmore poster from uh, the show that I went to. I wasn't able to stay for the whole thing. They didn't come on until uh, t uh, about 10.20 after Black Angels and one other artist. Uh, so, and I was just, I'm just exhausted. That's late for me. And, uh, and I knew I had to get home and uh, and get some sleep and not crash on the on the way home so uh, i prioritize my safety but uh, i stayed for a couple of songs and uh and they put on a really fun performance uh from from what i did see uh, i'm into their their style their music uh and i'm glad that i went to the city to to check them out uh so we're gonna start with uh, a song from dandy warhol's set uh i do want to preface uh, if you're prone to epileptic uh, behavior or uh, do not do well with flashing lights, you should probably fast forward the podcast about four minutes and five seconds from the time we start the song, because there's a lot of flashing lights in, uh, um, in this upcoming song. Uh, I believe this is a song called Ride. We're going to start off with that, and then we're going to uh, hop into my interview with Courtney Taylor Taylor. Here it is. Mm -hmm.
So how are you, how are you doing, Carter? Um, well, just got on tour, woke up in a hotel room with the AC blowing on my face and my throat burning. So, um, it was a rough night, but I did get kind of a lot of sleep. So I feel pretty good. Got up, you know, got some exercise, got in the pool We're in Arizona. So, um, uh, you know, an 88 degree pool and it's going to be a hundred today. So, um, it's, it's, things are looking pretty good, frankly. <laughs> I'm sure you have to adapt to a lot of different environments, you know, with the tour life and being, uh, not just in one different place, but all, you know, different states, different environments, different countries all over the world, right? Yeah, yeah. In the old days when when we, um, in olden times, where we would just go from one continent to another, um, going across the equator and having it go from, you know, we're skiing and then three days later we're laying by the pool or swimming in the ocean. Those are pretty crazy times. We caught cold a lot and weird stomach virus. <laughs> we're, 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 uh, we're, we're wiser now. We've got it a little more figured out. Yeah. Yeah. What, what has kind of helped you kind of get to this space where you're, you're really comfortable with the touring and, uh, uh, and not having those issues. Well, just experience, you know, and and sort of coming to the conclusion and and drawing a line at, at, at X amount of days. You know, we go out for a couple of weeks and it's really fun. And, um, you know, we get home feeling better than psychologically better than we felt when we left. And that's a huge, huge part of it. This should be something that we enjoy. Um, we all had do other things in our lives, a, a lot of other things. So, um, you know, we don't, we're not desperate to milk this for every dollar or anything like that. We're just, we just do it because we really, really, truly love it. And there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people out there that, that want us to do it. I mean, yeah, it just seems to be a, a great symbiotic relationship of us and a global fan group, you know, more like a global family, frankly, at this point. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's really fun. It's really, 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 it just feels healthy, you know. Yeah. So tell, tell me a little bit about that, about how you built that global uh, fan base. I mean, you've, you've been around for a, a long time, obviously, but... Well, we grind, grinded it out on the road, you know? I mean, you yeah. just, and you release... You, you, I think the most important thing is, which seems makes perfect sense now, but was very confusing to people back in you know, the late 90s, um, is you just only do what you want to a what you want to do b what should you be remembered what you want to be remembered for and that was uh in the old industry days that was a, a very weird and um you know considered like career suicidal behavior to just do what you want to do you know you got to this phrase called gatekeepers and there are still gatekeepers you know there are influencers and there are you know heavy 
duty magazines online and all the all the same things and some new things but um now it it would be foolish to try to do what you thought some influencers would like to hear or see in a video um you know that everyone just gets to do whatever the hell they want and hope that they connect with the right people to further their ambitions uh but for us we've been doing it the whole time so we have a very hardcore uh following of people that you know psycho emotional sexual whatever they're whatever the the balance of pieces that create their psyche it, it matches with ours and we relate to the same thing I, you know my this band and our music and our work is probably my favorite band i i listen to more uh of the dandy warhols than i do any other um you know band probably ever yeah but, is and so outside of making the music you uh you listen to the music a lot like on the road like you put you'll put the album on and just really dive no at it. home i smoke a okay. shit ton of weed and uh and i just put the dre beats studios on and i just we have so many songs yeah you know think of i want i want this one i want to hear this one you know and they put me where i want to be i feel i feel better <laughs> when I'm yeah. listening to the Andy Warhols, you know, I, I just, I feel better. That's great. I, you know, that's, that's actually really cool because I, I'm going to read hundreds of bands and I don't know that I've heard that anyone say that before, that they're that comfortable listening to their, their own stuff. And, uh, and that, you know, that that's kind of a place where they go to, right. You know, you talk a lot about other yeah. bands and influences and everything, but, but being able to kind of dive in and really, having your your own music kind of center you is pretty cool yeah that's what it was made for in the first place you know is to the, use the word center or ground grounding yourself and that's what they all are that interesting thing we were we were playing at a irish a, a, a festival last about a year ago exactly i think in uh, somerset in southern england and uh, it was mostly a f Irish folk punk. And you know, what in the hell are we doing here? But this French kid that must have been 14, um, he, he said uh, af after, afterwards, I, I think uh, he, he, he knew our French monitor engineer uh, and she said that he he had turned to his friends and gone this is real music this this is real 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 music and it's something connected with him that it just you know it made perfect sense and i think that's the thing when you're really truly expressing yourself um it to other people who are similar uh, physiologically, chemically, or emotionally, whatever, uh, to you, it'll just sound like it's real. And if any, all, all things that sound like other people will sound, um, put on or, you know, like they're just trying too hard to be a thing or whatever. But in fact, maybe that 
that music because I don't, I don't, I don't really relate to a lot of music, frankly. Um, but maybe that stuff connects with other people, and you just have to let it go. I think, I think most famously was uh, in my group of people. You know, I, I, I really enjoyed the desert sound um, that was happening. You know, fifteen years ago or whatever. But uh, when Josh Ohm somehow uh, somehow jettisoned uh, Nick Olivetti from his band, and Nick was a real Cookie Monster vocal metal metal guy, and, and Josh is, you know, arguably the the hippest, most amazing and inventive guitarist of our age. He, Jack White. There's a handful of these cats that are just they're just classic, like. Jimmy Page level, you know, visionary guitar players, um, and and I remember reading uh, an interview where Nick was just really bitching about it, and I just thought, that's crazy. You have two different types of music that you love, you know, like, yeah. and Nick did. He and I and I remember saying in an interview that he 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 is a legend, you know. Uh, for that style of music, he should take advantage of it while he can and put together a, a band and be the best of, of that thing. And then he did, you know, so that was, that was a case in point of, you know, everybody's got it inside them and nobody's so different and so unique that if they didn't make music that they love, that if you make music you love, you will find people out there that are like you and, and that feel that your music is the real music. Yours yeah. is the real, the real stuff. And the other stuff is thin or paper thin or cheap or imitation, you know, maybe. Um, I, as I, as I, you know, I mean, I, I, I did music college and I've been a musician basically since, I was a very small child. It was kind of the most powerful thing in the world. I noticed at maybe four years old, four or five, this is the most powerful thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I obsessed on it. But, but what I found from, from, for me, besides outside of my band and then the things like Love and Rockets and Bauhaus, I, these bands that I, I truly re relate to and it, it gives me that, it changes my blood pressure just everything becomes balanced and, and correct in the world when it's playing. But uh, the music from the Renaissance and the early Baroque era, um, kind of before they invented the virtuoso performer, the virtuoso was the composer. So they're just moving chords around a lot. You know, there's right. not one wailing human um, doing some crazy vocal acrobatics that we're supposed to be impressed or, or moved by. Um, other than, you know, like, like a, a, a watching a marathon, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Or, or a dog run a steeple or a horse run a steeple too, or whatever, you know, it's impressive, but it is different than being, being moved or transported or elevated, you know. Um, so was it, was it a more recent thing that you kind of straight away from music or being able to relate to like a lot of other music or did it has it kind of been that way for you for uh for a long time or you know growing up you had challenges relating to music yeah i i didn't i didn't relate to a lot of music and i i i learned to shut out lyrics mm -hmm. so it was hard for me to 
become a lyricist because I didn't really know what lyrics were. I, I even Simon and Garfunkel, you listen to these unbelievably beautiful and perfect recordings and performances, and then they get to lyrics where you, just, oh God, I didn't want it. Hiding in my room, safe within my womb, I touch no one and no one touches me. It's like, ugh, God, it's hard to get through. But right. you know, it, it's it's like you know having a a great sandwich, but there's the chunks of cheese are just a little hard to get. They're a little big. Yeah, hard yeah. To, hard, hard to get through, you know, but it's a great sandwich. Um, you know, that's that's kind of how I felt about most music. Um, you know, growing up, it was, and you know, I, we were, we were really, really good friends with David Bowie, who is, probably my single favorite rock star of all time i, I was going to get to david bowie i wanted he, so i want to know and, all about it like he and he and jim morrison i i really feel jimmy hendrix these are these are guys that are sort of like the really untouchable and and david was cool and he knew that he was not a rocker he knew that he was theater straight up um you know he would take show tunes he would he could he could make he could make show tunes you know he really understood that and he was great at it so that's why he really loved american rockers you know lou reed um iggy pop you know he just loved loved that that shit and and he could he really could identify you know what he liked and what was fascinating to him and it was i was you know we were fortunate to be utterly fascinating to him for many years so we got to hang out and work in the studio with him and you know he came to all our shows we played dozens of gigs with him um yeah, sorry i just got wow i just got uh taken away for a minute there i have no idea where i started with that um, well tell me yeah tell me about like well, who is david bowie oh, oh, just, what just was that, that it's hard just that it was hard uh it's it's hard to um find other artists that you uh tr like or just that you are fascinated the music moves you you wonder where it comes from in them and all of that and that's kind of how music sounds to me and i think that's why it's hard for me to find other music that i love or other artists where i can put on an entire record and i'm there mm -hmm. with them the whole i'm just thank you i'm gone with you the whole time even the Beatles don't really do that to me. I can't put on whole Rolling Stones records. I can't put on whole David Bowie records, uh, except for maybe Ziggy Stardust, and and be teleported the the entire time. Yeah, but you have to be. I guess I would think you'd have to be able to connect with the band in some some way, right? Like you mentioned, the Beatles. You you covered Blackbird, um, you know, for for Michael Jackson, right? Yeah, yeah, because because uh, <laughs> I randomly wrote that into a lyric. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I I I don't know why it just came out, and then several years later he died, and I had said when Michael Jackson dies, recover in Blackbird, which was because he had uh, 
you know, it wasn't a very nice thing to do, but he had scooped up and outbid Paul McCartney on his own music, on the on the rights to his own music, because the Beatles came from an era of true scumbaggery in the industry where you could make these songs and not own them. They could right. be taken from you or, or bought from you or forced to, you could be forced out. And so Michael did that to the Beatles, you know, um, so I was being snippety when I wrote that lyric. And then and then Michael was gone, and of course there was a flood of, "Hey, are you guys gonna? You have to cover Blackbird now." Yeah. So you did the thing. But, yeah, did a great job of it too. I thought <laughs> it's cool. Well, it was Pete. It was Pete, our guitar player, Pete Holmstrom. It was him. He was the one who did basically did that because that's a hard song. And he did it. He'll sit down. Don't don't say P wants to sit down and learn Black Blackbird and make an amazing recording of it. I just yeah. sang on it. I didn't play anything on it. I just sang on it. Hey, you were there. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Me uh, too. Yes. Yeah. Your uh, your music has been used for you know the theme song did not just to more than one tv show veronica mars and mythbusters is what i what i read like how does how do those things come about for you and do you do you have a part in kind of making it happen or do they is it brought to you to you have you have no say in what other people um want you know it's their career yeah you know this based you know quite a lot on what music they choose for tv shows or commercials or whatever you know, like again, back to my first point, you just make what you think is awesome. And hopefully there are people out there that think it's awesome too and, and want, want it to be a part of their lives. In those cases, it's a, want it to be a part of someone's career and their, their, you know, their trajectory for their future. So, you know, you can't tell people what music to put in their, their show or their, their advertising project right yeah when, when those things happen do you find like a boost in like the, the your ability to sell tickets to shows and stuff or is that kind of just all no that happens just a thing? I, I think that's a that's a factor much later when when people realize oh i love that song oh i love that show it seems to have an effect a few several five years later more yeah. more than it does while it's happening. Right. I don't think people really think about bands like that when they're hearing a song, you know, comes on uh, at the beginning of a show that they're excited to see what happens this this week or now binging. But with Veronica Mars, that was back in the television era. You had to wait a week, I think, to see what <laughs> see what happens next. Yeah. When you were signed to Capitol, tell me about kind of the impact for uh, for you in terms of where the band was then and versus kind of where you were able to take it. Like, what was their support like and, and how, how did that drive um, oh, your ability? Oh, you know, to... that is one of our biggest regrets is how much we whinged and complained and bitched about Capitol Records. But it was it was fantastic, you know, in retrospect. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, of course. Um. You know, they just have such massive machinery. Right now, we're we're taking advantage of a gap between labels to release our own single, and we're hiring PR people. And I think we we're 
doing it, we have gotten great, great people. So we're doing a ton of, of interviews, a ton. I am doing, you know, I do a couple a day and I get offered another three to five interviews every day. And, and that is wild for uh, uh, an independent band. But, you know, we found that with Capital, they're not necessarily the, that's because we found the right people in the right genres. And, and it's, it's, it's cool. You know, they're really connecting with true music, um, real true music fans. You know, for us, it's shoegaze, psych rock, goth, post-punk, you know, it's, it's the, it's the niche markets that we have always been a part of and that we love, that we are, it is part of who we are and what, what we are as people and our history growing up and what we listen to. Um, whereas when you're on Capitol, it's that maybe a little bit here and there, but it's a lot of bigger press. Whereas, you know, now, I mean, you know, we're, no one's putting us on the cover of Rolling Stone or Pitchfork or anything, you know, that's just not in the cards for us. So you, but with those, so there's millions of people that view it, you know, a huge percentage don't care. Your right. whatever band is on the cover of, you know, these sites or magazine sites, um, you know, you're just getting the world at large, and and a um, not a specific layer of the cake. You're just getting the top to bottom. You know, six million layer cake and you're getting you know instead of just picking this one style uh, of music and, and, and that that you fit into or uh, fit into a part of so it's it's it was it was impressive though let me tell you the capital records um all the major labels of the old days their approach was just sheer power just financial yeah. power rolling out a lot of money hiring a lot of people and just trying to you know just and they could do it you could shove square pegs into round holes you know if you got enough muscle was it a pretty amicable split afterwards or were you uh, was there uh, tension when you moved on from capital uh no we were on our last record there and there's some you know, douchebag dude to just come in and, um, you know, we had, we had made so much money for that. We made tens of millions, 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 millions of dollars for that company. And this idiot didn't even look at that. We weren't, we, we were making money. We were not in the red. We were in the black. We had recouped, uh, all of the money and then made them a pile on top of it. Records were, and we were, you know, we, we, we're a band who who was a, a huge web presence at the beginning of the dawn of the internet, and so you know we 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 didn't sell records. We were you know we didn't sell a lot of records. We were just this new thing of where music is available on. I don't even remember what it was called back then, but um, and this dude was this old school new president um kind of a stopgap i guess between 
two real presidents. And he just, like, oh, they didn't sell a lot of records. And so he dropped us. And uh, I hope he gets cancer. Yeah, yeah. He uh, just came in and cleaned up shop and was, didn't look at, you know, what was actually happening. He, who was making money or how right. to make money in the new world. He didn't, he didn't notice. He didn't care. I don't think he lasted long there either. So yeah. Hopefully he's, hopefully he's grooming, uh, you know, miniature poodles now and, uh, you know, fighting gout. It's the worst, right? Grooming the miniature pools. No one wants to do it. So, uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, t- talk to me about your. Uh, you spent some time with Tom Petty. Uh, t- tell me about yeah. that. You. Yeah, we had we had we were very um, fortunate that Joe Strummer, Tom Petty, Robert Smith, all these all these heroes of ours, Peter Murphy. Uh, absolute titans and and really like holy people uh stevie nicks you know they just loved us and they wanted to be around us and hang out with us and um and we're a very social band we're very social people so we had a we had a great time with them tom was awesome you know he was he, he was a really mild mannered dude socially you know like hey man hey you guys Brought you a couple joints. I think you're gonna really like it. And that that I mean that was kind of the most no memorable thing was smoking the pot that Tom Petty smoked. There was no paranoia at all. It was the most perfect blend of like new new thoughts, positive feelings. He was a he was a, he was great. Um, we didn't, you know, he we didn't have that relationship of working in the studio, but he had us open for him several times, and we could just hang out. You know, he was just a hangout, chatty guy, not a motor mouth. Yeah, Stevie Nicks likes to talk. Yes, yeah, yeah. We and uh, but we did show. You know, he had he would have Stevie Nicks come sing, uh, "Stop Dragging My Heart Around." Uh, yeah, I I saw Petty you know five and oh six and oh six she came she was like doing like a tour with him and did like five songs and it was it was yep. incredible it was pretty incredible We'd, that wasn't one we were on though no black rose, black rose black rose black rose opened that one yeah. that's a hell of a band yeah i feel like you have a good bowie story for me so i want uh we we, we crossed over bowie but I'm a big Bowie fan, and I want to know, learn a little something about Bowie. So, <laughs> uh, okay, Bowie. Um, I, I, uh, we were we we were sitting when when he had he had um, fin- we had both finished our new records, so we went out to our tour bus. He used to sneak cigarettes with um, with us, with the dandies, uh, uh, when we'd played together sometimes. So we got, went out to the tour bus, have some coffee and a cigarette, our tour bus, of course. Uh, couldn't smoke on his tour bus, get in trouble. David would get in trouble. And, and, um, uh, and we, we, were, we started talking about somehow 
we had gotten around to drugs and he and uh i asked him about heroes the record and why the song sounds so different he said i was kicking heroin and i couldn't sleep and uh i think he was maybe at the adlon hotel um but one of the famous hotels at the brandenburg gate uh next to the berlin wall and every night he watched he looked out the window and sat at a piano yes he had a piano in his in his suite and he would stare out the window and think on the piano and try to come up with songs and he was just a mess and he, the record was becoming more jazzy and and um he just said he kept adding shit to it trying to find something you know some inspiration and at some point, at the same time, almost every night or every night, uh, he would see somebody uh, way out there by the gate, kind of lurking. And then somebody else would come in. And then they would kiss and hold hands and talk. And then they'd wander off together. And, uh, and so, through more nights of this, the, the thing that he started to play very slow and lethargically was Waiting, waiting for My Man, the BU song, the Velvet Underground song. I'm waiting for my man. So uh, he was playing those chords very slowly and this song came to him, the lyrics, we could be heroes and da 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 da, and these people, you know, would, and he, uh, and that's where heroes came from, which is interesting in itself. But what I find more hysterical about David's person, because he really was, um, you know, such a, a childlike enthusiasm for stuff, life, things, trivial things, or big things, you know. He was just a really, he was just interested in a lot of things. He, he, at least he seemed like to me, I don't, I don't know his best friend or anything, but um, uh, so he snuck out and hid behind a tree <laughs> to, um, you know, to, to watch him and hear him. And he totally spied on these people. Yeah, yeah. It's a great origin story of that song. That's awesome. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, he had to find out. Yes. It's beautiful, though. <laughs> Standing <laughs> by the wall. Beautiful song. God. He's he's an amazing musician. I never got to see him live, and I wish I, I, wish I had. But my, my favorite concert ever was a Bowie celebration here in San Francisco, uh, led by Gary Oldman, uh, the actor. And... Uh, uh, like 35 musicians like it was it was an amazing magical evening like last year last year i got invited to play um a seattle a benefit in seattle with um you know members of sleater kinney and pearl jam and the head the heart and death cab for cutie and you know all of us there was just a there was just a pant load of us 
and then um uh kind of the most famous drag queens and super talents of uh, the transgender hip world of seattle um all playing different only bowie songs uh oh. for i don't know two or three hours yeah one night and um that was uh that was definitely the most amazing um you know event i think i've ever participated in the the vibe and the the ability to nail the sounds of the records when we when we toured with david and we we play with him his band was very pro and they were his guys from the late 80s and some from the mid 80s still i mean he had mike garson who is the classic genius keyboardist for for david um, but by then like earl slick had his own signature model everything um so he's just a just a shit hot guitar player really really great guitar player the sounds did not match the sounds on the records not even close uh, particularly once you got back to the 70s stuff and gail on bass had a had a very you know very hot um like kind of emg pickup sound and so everything was very flashy and 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 uh when we did the the thing in seattle you know you've got these musicians who are who are uh just doing this for one gig so they can yeah. have three different amps with them they're not hauling gear and they're not you know shit isn't being moved and it's got to be thrown in and out of you know they're bringing so everyone brought the equipment that would match the record that of the song on the record that they are trying to play so the early 70s stuff sounded like early 70s the late 70s sounded like you know it was absolutely stunning and um i did you know everybody's afraid to touch man who sold the world because it's kurt uh so you know as i was the only one that was friends with david and um you know i, I felt you know felt that i have a lot in common with David and, and a similar vocal range. I can do, you know, I didn't do Kurt doing, I can't sing like Kurt Cobain. Right, right. Nobody, nobody can. I can, no. do, I can do David. I can do a fair to Midland David. So I, I did that and I did the David version where I played congas on it and, and did that because it's got a, a kind of a Calypso vibe on the original. So I did that. That was really cool. And then I did Putting Out Fire um which is you know the cat people theme which is mm -hmm. just like one of my favorite all-time david songs and i just got to rip it just i threw i i did that second so i could i could really like i couldn't sing i could barely talk after it like this you know Whoa! and ian moore who is just the coolest guitar player had worked with carlos alomar like a month earlier and said hey i'm gonna be doing putting out fire because carlos played on that record with stevie ray vaughn 
those are the two guitar players, I believe, on Let's Dance. And so he said, hey, can you show me how to play that? That kind of, that whole thing. So he just got it straight from the horse's mouth, how to play this, this super inversion, like Brazilian jazz with the, with this Keith Richards-y guitar. I mean, it was, it's, it's really the coolest guitar thing ever. And there's Ian just, it's just perfect, man. He just can do it like it's his, just own it. So that was just that song alone was, you know, top five greatest musical experiences, moments of my life. It's incredible. It's incredible, right? When you, I mean, you just, you, you get to be a part of this thing that you're, you just feel this energy in a room uh, that's, you know, uh, all these people that are celebrating this, you know, mastermind genius musician and like, and bringing their, their uniqueness to it. And, and it's just, I mean, it's beyond incredible. I mean, that's how I felt at the, the celebration, you know, that, that I went to also. I mean, it's just like, to even be a part of that, like, and get to interview a ton of artists and, you know, and everything at that and just be, be a fly on the wall for that experience was, was incredible. and made me just want, wish that I had yeah. some voice, some point in my life had seen Bowie. Right. But it didn't happen. But. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. He was something, man. What a, what a phenomenon. Yeah. And he did it. He did it in the most bizarre, like, he just kept on. He well, he just kept on doing this this thing that he did. You know, he constantly changing styles. At one point, he just started. He he just. I mean, he just would change his look, and his sound, and it was. You know, it was something that I think he appreciated in us. Was that, was that we would change our sound, although, although. Uh, when we did put out Welcome to the Monkey House, uh, he he was listening to it, and he and he at that point, you know, it was we put that out at kind of the the height of the Strokes and the White Stripes and all the Jet, the Vines, all these amazing guitar bands were cranking out just still just great, the greatest records, you know, a small piece of the greatest records of all time. And uh, in my in my opinion, but um, uh, so we put out this you know very synth driven you know more influenced by early Gary Newman Two Boy Army um, you know Duran Duran's first record we were really into it got Nick Rhodes to work on it with us so that we could really get that authentic thing um, and David <laughs> and David said. Why, why, why do you always want to be the first to do everything? It's so much more profitable to be the second. Which is interesting yeah. because um, that that sort of, as I thought about that later, and of course I've thought about that a lot in my life, as, as you would when David Bowie says something like that to you. Um, First of all, my answer was I I don't know I don't know how to do anything else I would I'd be embarrassed to do anything else you know, but, but um, that means that he thought he was being the second in every single thing he did, 
every single thing he did. He thought he was imitating Lou Reed on this one. He thought he was imitating Mark Bolin on this one. He thought he was imitating Donna Summer on this one. He thought he, you know, there he always in his mind, he was being the, he was chasing a groundbreaker, you know, and not, he didn't know that he was breaking ground. It's crazy to think about because you don't think about David Bowie as being a follower in any sense, right? You, you think of him like paving the way, and that there is no one really quite like him, you know. So absolutely, or he was just so far <laughs> off the mark of trying to be Donna Summer that he just invented something every time, you know. And even Black Star, as he's go, you know, as he's fading off into the the ether, right? Like, I mean, putting out Black Star two days before he died, and like leaving that mark, you know, it's, it just I I remember where I was when he died. I remember you know hearing Black Star and the impact of that album, and I just I, I'm like, this is a guy who's like going out on his own terms and uh, and leaving his mark completely well, there. So and, it's so it's so. You know, it's so David to orchestrate his own exit, the most well-orchestrated exit in his sense of Roman, since the Roman Empire, you know? I mean, just, it, it really, it, it was like that, that scene in the movie Satyricon where the, the guy is, you know, the emperor or whatever is doing his own funeral and pretending he's dead. I just kept expecting to get an email from him, you know, a week after he died, going, go, Courtney, can you believe this? This is fantastic. You know, it was, he's on the cover of every magazine. Uh, you know, it was the biggest, it was the biggest, the biggest death since Caesar. And he, you know, he had it all arranged. He had it all set up. It was just so exactly he was such a vein he loved it he had a god i swear to god he 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 just told people because he wanted to see what would happen you know yeah, that yeah. is that is so him and i never did i never got an email from him you know after his death you know so I, I don't <laughs> it's like like Elvis. I think he actually died, you know. <laughs> we'll believe it now, I guess, because it's been kind of quiet the past, you know, seven years. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really miss that guy. It is. It, it was. It was. It was fun to know him. Super fun. It was a really ridiculous party trick, you know, to just sit somewhere as a party, people drunk, doing drugs you know people snorting coke yo you know blah 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 and and somehow you know if bowie came up and there's a any kind of any kind of like no no this is blah blah played on this i could just go get my phone out and go no david said that was not a real slick that was you know whatever guitar player <laughs> everybody just go <laughs> yeah how do you know um well you know i just asked david although he did not remember a lot of stuff you know he he there was a lot of stuff he was like that was when i was on my milk and cocaine diet you know or whatever
I don't remember any of that. I don't remember anything about it. Yeah. But it was fun when I got to I got to pull that a couple times. Just like it, yeah, you were that close. You could just text them up and everything, right? Like fuck yeah, yeah that was that's amazing. It's funny to sit here and do an interview. I've got yeah. got this new single. We just made this AI video. Yes, you we know, didn't talk about any of any of that. I've got, got a lot to say about AI because I mean. Yeah. You know, it, it is interesting, and I and you know, my filmmaker that I've been working with for twenty years at least uh, just said, "Hey, my buddy is this AI dork. He's got the hottest program. It just came out this week, and he's he says he's working on. It. He's getting some really cool results. You want to do it?" And I said, "Yes, let's let's just take the green screen, not put it over like edited together found footage. Let's just yeah. have dump it into the AI program." You know. Um, so I've worked with AI now and, and it is like a human child. It's like, uh, if you force it to too much stuff or it finds you to be, um, uh, confusing or counterintuitive or at cross purposes with your own, what you're telling it, you want it to do, or you're helping it too much, it will rebel and it will, <laughs> it will put fucked up things into your, into your film you know it like all the things you don't want in there like all of a sudden it's making me look like i'm in the insane clown posse or it's putting a gross what gross fish face creatures with a, a, amidst um like really weirdly rubbery legged sexy hipply dressed alien chicks with big eyes and and then devo dudes with devo hats doing weird homoerotic dances and you know it, it it'll just it'll it'll just wander off onto weird things and, and you wonder if it's the programmer who who put all these put safeguards in or limitations or whatever um but it is a tool to be used correctly like uh like anything you can use a shovel to dig or you can use a shovel to to you know you can kill somebody with one Right. So um, as far as using it as creatively, yeah, it's great. But it is it is a child that um, that can uh, destroy the entire uh, global economy of you know. There's that you know, but Earth or 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 break into nuclear codes and just wipe out the entire planet. Think it's doing the right thing. Um, but it's funny that I, I but I just spent an hour talking about David Bowie. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I know. So we'll, we'll get to like the summer of hate, right? So this is this AI video and I, and we can talk about the AI aspect too, because, you know, I mean, it's, it's something that started coming up in the, some of the interviews I've done also. David, by the way, would love this video. Yeah. Yeah. He, it it he seems like it would be up his alley. Yeah. Oh man. And he would have been on this AI shit before, before anyone, you know. It, it's great that you're embracing it because, and this is another cool thing, like, it's like, uh, there are those that, are kind of nervous about it. I mean, obviously, AI can make music rep replicate an artist's sound feel to de a degree, you know, and kind of where is that going to take us? Uh, but to a degree, to a to a degree, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's missing the heart, but it but it can have the the body of uh, of an artist, right? So yeah, but that's that's also the difference between entertainment. And art, you know, right. I, I, 
I, I listen to pop music. Um, you know, I go to the gym and play racquetball. I love, I've always loved racquetball. So that's kind of my, my healthy start to the morning. You know, I, 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 I go down the street and I play racquetball. So I hear pop music, uh, yeah. at the, at the gym and, you know, I, you know, it, it comes on, I was, you know, Justin Timberlake or, you know, and it's, it just sounds like entertainment. It doesn't really, it, it sounds like something that could have been created by AI. Um, and it's different, you know, being a great entertainer is, is a different, uh, form of genius than, um, than being a great artist, you know, right. a great artist is a, is like an extreme example of passive aggressive behavior. Uh, it's like being a painter where you sit alone and make this thing uh, to get something off your chest. And a lot of garbagey feelings. So I'm going to show them whoever they are. You know, you, you artists get have that petty, angry, you hurt me kind of shit you know, or you don't respect me. Or there's a lot of that that goes into art. Entertainment is um, a bit of that, I suppose, but it really doesn't exist without an audience in mind. Um, and, and art can never be finished until you get an audience completely out of your mind and you are just selfish, you know. That is, art is a selfish act. And uh, entertainment is a, is a hope um, for for success, for for being celebrated uh, or something. I guess you know, art art is maybe just hope to have a have a a balance to maybe a better day than you had yesterday. You know, sure. make yourself feel better about yourself. Yeah, I, I, I'm guessing. Yeah. I'm, I, that's how it's, it feels to me. I'm just like my gut guy to be here, but I do talk about it a lot, and I I have given it obviously a shit ton of thought. Can you ever figure anything out? I don't know. Yeah, um, and the new album is uh, Rock Maker, right? That uh, that's going to be coming out. When is that coming out? Um, I don't know. Maybe March ish. Yeah, yeah. We got some. We got some time. Yeah, we got some. Yeah, and it it's um, heavy, heavy guitars. Is just the thing. Every song needed to start with like a, a heavy metal guitar riff, and um, you know, and then and then they wander into whatever direction. You know, uh, summer of lived through the summer of hate. Started as a as this kind of um yard birdsy sort of riff and then it ended up just becoming an homage to the damned um because it really had that kind of somewhere between the brian brian james and captain sensible the two main songwriter guitar players of the dam kind of right in between them i felt and then um, I love that Dave Banyan thing, which is also a very pop thing, which is also kind of a David thing. Um, and I, it's something I, I love to express myself with that, using that part of my voice. 
don't really do it that often. So it really, I think the damned ishness of the supposedly uh, Yardbirdsy guitar riff made me want to, you know, somewhere between roaring and crooning. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. love it. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. And the and... whole, the entire record has, you know, big, big guitar, big, massive guitar riffs. And, uh, you know, I don't hear a lot of heavy, heavy guitar music that I like anymore. You know? Is the album pretty done? Yeah. I think I might have just finished it. Uh, nice. needed to Needed to turn the snare drum down on the song that started out as, like, heavy metal Beach Boys, which equals vaguely Ramones. Uh, yeah. had, to turn, had to turn the snare drum down to give it a more punk sound, authentically kind of punk, proto-punk, you know, 70s punk. And so I'll get that remixed. Hopefully my manager is sending that off to the mastering, not remixed, mastered. Um, we, did have a, we did have a song uh, remix that already got released by a really cool remixer called Nala, Nala, Nala. I never mm -hmm. asked her how she says her name, but um, uh, that came out last early in the summer, I guess. Uh, that's a song that features Debbie Harry on vocals. Nice. And um, so we'll release that song at some point too. We got some cool people on the record, really our favorite people there's you know, legends on the record so who else you got can you say i'm not gonna say you're gonna hold it okay got it mark sometime around march <laughs> uh, huh. yeah well um anything else else yeah. i i've, I've got a i'm starting to my stomach is starting to look at my <laughs> kidneys and go those look delicious God, delicious I know I haven't really eaten anything today either. I need to get some food. But but I, before we wrap, I do want to ask you. So I'm I'm going to be at the Fillmore show. You know, you're doing two uh, in San Francisco. I'm going to be at the Saturday one. Um, Fillmore is my favorite place to see shows. It's just amazing. It has an incredible energy. I know the last amazing. time you were in, in the Bay, I think you played the Fillmore uh, back in 2019. Um, we play the Fillmore a lot. Yeah. What do you love about it? I don't really know. It just works. The sound works. works and the room works and everything works. It's just got a thing. It's the Fillmore. It's the Fillmore. The, the posters, yeah. you can get lost looking at the posters, the energy in the walls, the chandeliers, the, the apples, the, uh, the apples. There's, there's some sort of voodoo magic in the, those apples that they have in the lobby uh, that are, mm. I mean, just delicious. So I don't know if you've tried those, but make sure you get one. So. Okay, I don't think I've ever had an apple in the Fillmore. Fillmore You're gonna be there for two two days. That's that's a, that's my task for you is get grab an apple from the you know from the lobby. Two days is I will get one. I will definitely are, go. Are, do you know if they're doing a poster for you uh, for you for the show? Uh, I not my job. It's, yeah, outside of you. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, those are amazing too, though. So uh, yeah, they but, do great ones. But you know, we're we're traveling with the Black Angels. And they they do, you know, Christian Bland does 
exactly that style of art. That is his yeah. genre. It's his era, the Vietnam, you know, psych rock era. Yeah. You know, they're they're the they're it, and he does their artwork. So our tour poster is very already very Fillmore style. So it'll be interesting to know what if, if he. He has probably worked out the deal, I would imagine, because that is his job. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, he has, I'll, so. I'll see him today and I'll ask him, but it'll be too late for this. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool. Well, well, Courtney, I'll let you go get get something to eat. Thank you for for taking the time. I'm I'm looking forward to the show next weekend. And uh, awesome, thank you, you man. Thanks for your time. Of course. You have a great rest of your day. Okay. All Stay right, cool in Arizona. <laughs> right? No, not. No, All right, not see ya. Ciao. Later. That was my interview with Dandy Warhols here on Concert Pipeline, and that takes us to the final segment on the program, the music news. Okay, I've got a couple stories to wind out the program today. Uh, first up is the When We Were Young Festival. Uh, that's Currently, as of this recording going on, there's a lot of bands that are playing, many bands that I grew up on when I was young. So I kind of wish I was able to go to it. But again, I'm prioritizing duck hunting over going and spending a, uh, a weekend in Vegas. Uh, but was super excited that something corporate play, uh, reunited and played at the festival. Uh, one other band that played at the festival was a band called Green Day. Uh, they uh, actually last minute announced a... A uh, very intimate show at Fremont Country Club, uh, where they played to about a thousand people, I think it is, uh, maybe even less. And um, and then they had some big news to share during their uh, their show as well, uh, that they will be going on a stadium tour with the Smashing Pumpkins, Rancid, and the Linda Lindas in 2024. And it sounds like it'll be epic. Uh, this comes after they played the entirety of Dookie, the record that launched Green Day into the mainstream uh, and altered the trajectory of their careers. Uh, so it's a huge album that fans I'm sure were beside themselves with excitement to be able to hear uh, all the hits from Dookie, including uh, Burnout, Longview, Welcome to Paradise, Basket Case, She, uh, When I Come Around, uh, so many hits uh, off of Dookie alone. And then they played other songs after that uh, that, um, uh, that, uh, that are fan favorites and other, uh, uh, other songs. They played Father of All, uh, warning toward the end of the, their 30 song set uh, and closed the, uh, the set with Homecoming, which they hadn't played since 2010. So they pulled out some stuff from the, uh, from, uh, the old days um, that they haven't played for a while. So uh, pretty cool show, uh, to, to, for those that were able to get to see them in an intimate setting before they play the big fe uh, festival stage, right? Uh, okay, Mark Hoppus had to learn how to play bass again after chemotherapy. Uh, he's re revealed the struggles he faced with getting back into music following chemotherapy treatment for cancer. He spoke to Zane Lowe for Apple Music ahead of the release of their uh, album that just came out on Friday, One More Time. I got a chance to listen to the, uh, that album, by the way, and dig it. Need to give it a couple more listens. But, uh, but Blink-182 is back uh, with Tom DeLonge and, uh, and a picks up like they hadn't missed a beat yet it really speaks to uh the beat that they did miss and how it shouldn't have to uh uh take a tragedy uh uh to uh, uh to bring them back together uh, so 
uh, Hoppus spoke of uh, his now squash Bad Blood with Tom DeLong, which he told Lowe there was not a chance that he would sh uh, share a stage with again. Uh, I didn't know that Blink would ever get back together or that I would ever share a stage with Tom. And I told management, I told Travis Parker, I told everybody, I'm like, I'm not setting foot on stage again with that dude, not a chance. Uh, that's the truth. But I've always thought Tom was one of the best songwriters in the world and one of my favorite songwriters. But there was a lot of bad blood and there was a lot of stuff in the press and feelings and all this stuff, he said. Uh, and he was diagnosed with uh, 4A uh, diffused large B cell lymphoma in 2001, but was declared cancer cancer free six months later. Uh, and so when word got out that he was diagnosed with cancer, he realized that DeLong was in his corner supporting him. I got sick, but Tom was always like, we're going to get you through this. Uh, and so they were able to mend their relationship and get uh, get back together, uh, which is is great because, uh, yeah, sometimes um, you need to really just work to uh, be able to mend your uh, relationships and, uh, and be on the same page with, with making that happen, right? So good for Mark and Tom from uh, Blink-182. Uh, Fatboy Slim perform, performed on the world's biggest holographic stage, uh, and I guess it was more so a likeness of Fatboy Slim. They performed a surprise show at Alexandra Palace, on, uh, uh, and it was organized by EE and saw the DJ behind the decks in the form of a huge hologram created using cutting-edge technology and streamed on the mobile network's Instagram. Uh, it was a 50-meter-tall Halo gaze, uh, same height as the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and suspended from two cranes. Uh, and so, uh, it, again, they took over London's skyline and made history, Fatboy Slim said in a statement following the performance. A massive shout out to all those fans who joined uh, him in the world's biggest holographic stage to kickstart a brand new era. Uh, so, uh, a new form of technology apparently being brought out uh, where that was able to be done. All right, one more story before we wind out the program, and in typical fashion, we like to try and uh, wind out with uh, Foo Fighters news. So Dave Grohl uh, shared feelings about whether Nirvana sold out. He said, I didn't feel personally conflicted. Um, Grohl and no uh, Novoselic from Nirvana uh, will talk more about Nirvana in an upcoming episode of Conan O'Brien's podcast, which is awesome. One of my favorite podcasts to listen to, and really cool that Dave Grohl is going to be there. Um, the, they're set to appear on Conan's podcast on October 23rd. That's this. Uh, that's right now. So uh, I'm going to stop podcasting and I'm going to go listen to uh, the Conan O'Brien podcast. Uh, and uh, in an exclusive preview from Billboard, uh, they discuss they discuss the 30th anniversary of In Utero, where O'Brien asked whether band success went against their D DIY punk background. Um, and in response, producer Albini said he often encountered this criticism from people outside of the culture of punk, saying, I've never experienced that genuinely from anybody in the punk scene that wasn't purely an expression of jealousy. He continued, on the whole, Nirvana's fans wanted Nirvana to become successful and self-sustaining and beloved. And Grohl chimed in to give his thoughts on navigating Nirvana's success, saying, before we made the record, never mind, we were pretty much living in squalor, uh, describing the tiny, fucking disgusting apartment he shared with Kurt Cobain, covered in cornbox sticks and cigarettes. I would have done anything to have my own apartment and to be uh, able to do that uh, through making music. So he knows the transition happened quickly, but you don't just wind up with $1 million in your mailbox the next day, he jokes. So uh, looking forward to checking out that podcast. All right. 
that is our show for today. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, next week on the program, we have uh, an artist who goes by the name of the Bones of J.R. Jones. Uh, so that is our show. Thank you for tuning in again. Uh, for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time.